This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this week starts a four-part series on Christian leadership, but not your typical 21st century leadership that focuses on success, improving what you're already good at, and being the most effective and innovative communicator you can be. No, instead, we are discussing leadership through the lens of being a faithful follower of Jesus. We kick off the series with Joanne Jung and Richard Langer, the co-authors of the book, The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. And that's exactly what we discuss, our never-changing call to follow Jesus and how to pursue that in a world that views following as weakness. Before we begin, if you enjoy the show, I want to share a few ways you can support the production of Grace Enough. One, share the episode. If you're enjoying it, send a text message to a friend or share it on social media. Two, if you listen to an episode and you end up purchasing the featured books or one of the resources that we discuss during our conversation, be sure to purchase it from the links in the show notes. Those links are affiliates and I receive a small payout at no cost to you. And lastly, make a donation or become a monthly supporter at buymeacoffee.com slash grace enough. Those details can be found on the website as well. Okay, let's begin episode one of this four-part series on leadership with Joanne Jung and Richard Langer. Good afternoon to you guys. Evening for me, Joanne and Rick. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thanks so much for having us. I'm thrilled to have this conversation as your book, The Call to Follow, has been one I've thoroughly enjoyed this year. And so as we get started, I love to begin with having my guests tell a little bit of how they came to know Christ. When did you begin walking with him? Just briefly, a bit of your faith journey. So either one of you can start off that conversation. Perhaps I'll go first, Rick, because it's going to be short, even though I've probably lived longer than you, Rick. (laughs) Um, But I um, made a decision when I was in junior high at a junior high camp, but no no one discipled me. And so it really didn't grab, it really didn't take root until um, a number of years later. I had uh, walked away from the church, had come back after my first was born and knew my, uh, knew I'd wanted her to grow up in the church. And that is when it just took root and flourished. And the idea of even going to a seminary came up at one point. And I flourished there. I loved it. I loved every single class and my relationship. And most of all, my dependency on God Mm. really grew. So it started with that little stick thrown into the fire at a junior high camp. And God had amazing, uh, incredible plans I would never have dreamt that he would have for me. So you went to seminary when you had babies. I started my 
seminary uh, program when I was 40. So my kids were in oh, high school. So I, I, I was the one in the bleachers when my daughter was playing volleyball and I had my Greek vocabulary <laughs> cards right with me. I want that to be me. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah. My husband's like, maybe you should wait and take one thing off your plate before you decide to go to seminary. Yeah, it was great. And I have to tell you, Amber, one day my daughter came into my room and said, you know, mom, I'm taking a class at Cal State San Diego. And she said, we've got some older people in my class. And you know what, mom, they keep raising the curve. <laughs> I apologize, but that's what happens. What I experienced in physical therapy school was the oldest students in our class always asked the best questions. And I was always glad that they were there, even though it made us stay in class longer. <laughs> so. Amen. All right, Rick, how about you? Well, I came to Christ in, in high school. Uh, I had grown up in a in a church going family, but the, the church we went to was a, a very liberal church and it never really asked anyone to decide to follow Christ or whatever. And it, seemed to me at the time more of just a social club or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in junior high, my parents gave me the option of going to church or not. And I thought, that's easy. No. And so I opted out. And it was later in high school, a friend of mine took me to uh, to see a guy named Andre Cole. So he was a traveling magician and illusionist with Camps Crusade for Christ. And he's I mean, he spent 40 or 50 years doing these kinds of, of just Las Vegas quality magic shows, but then would share Christ at the, you know, after intermission, did wonderfully well. That is really cool. So I, it just, first time I really heard the gospel and he asked, you know, do you believe I, I, I was in though a little bit like mm. Joanne, I didn't know what to do with it. And no one really followed mm. me up. I, in my case, only about a year later, I was kind of walking through the, the hallway at my uh, high school. And this guy who was turned out to be the director of the Camps Crusade for the high school group at that time, I was walking with my friend and he, he's like, hey, you come to this meeting tonight? And my friend's like, yeah. And he go, points at me. Well, what about what about this kid? You know? And I'm like, oh, what, <laughs> what is it? And he told me and I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm in because I was I was really all in. I just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. So that that was a turning point for me. And basically from that day till this, I've been actively involved in either volunteer or vocational ministry. Mm. Um, yeah. It really does speak a lot, too, about the power and the impact that um, programs like that in high schools can have. I mean, I know for me in college, it was Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so, you know, it's not that there's a formula. It's just that someone's interested in having a relationship with you. And that kind of leads into discipleship. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Well, in your old book, The Call to Follow, in chapter one, you compare leadership to money. And I, I just love it, like to the point where I was absolutely reading it out loud to my husband, who is in a position in a vocation of leadership. And so this is something that you write. Leadership is like money. Leadership, too, is an instrumental good. It helps things get done, but it is not an intrinsic good in it is not to be pursued for its own sake. Rick, how would you say that leadership is like money, particularly in our Western world? I, I think part of why we wrote that was because we really want to be clear at the outset, we're not writing an anti-leadership book. That's we're right. trying to write a book that helps leadership be in its proper place. And if you mm -hmm. think about that with money, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who are anti-money, but I'm not one of them. I, I mean, I, 
I'm a fan. I, I use it. I, I like to have money, but almost all of us are aware of the fact that money has a proper place and it's really easy for it to go outside of that proper place. And it may become yeah. an idle force. It may become an obsession force. It may become a way we, we identify our status or we do our identity based on our money itself. All those things happen. And all we're saying is that, yeah, now money has become, for whatever reason, an end in itself, not just a thing that you use to accomplish good, good and valuable purposes. And I think, weirdly enough, leadership has done a very similar thing in our culture where it's great to have leaders. Leaders are wildly needed. They're super important. Joanne and I are both people who are leaders in many ways and certain roles. And then we're also people who are followers. But we all think, yes. man, leadership's great. But then you find this weird obsession that if you're not a leader, you're not mature. If you're not a leader, you're not being successful. successful. You, you People who lose their identity, if they lose a leadership role, at some point, I'm going, mm. well, why did leadership become this weird intrinsic? You have to aspire to it. That's what you care about. That forms your identity. I'm going, leadership was never meant to do that. Um, mm. It's meant to help make organizational tasks flourish. You know, multi-people working together requires some kind of leadership. So it's very valuable, instrumental good. It helps us do those things. But when you turn it into an end in itself, it's it's really becomes, you know, kind of dangerous and toxic. Yeah, well, and that's a good point that you bring up that at some point, we even in Christian culture got really obsessed with leadership and just book after book after book. I mean, we we see it all in all of culture, but it's also very prevalent in Christian culture. And so do either of you know, like kind of when that tipping point was, did, did something happen or has it just always been that way that we have kind of gravitated towards this obsession, um, this praise, unhealthy praise for leadership? I think, Amber, that it's always been around. I mean, even scripture says, you know, we don't rule this the way the Gentile rulers rule. And so there's always this tendency toward uh, some kind of leadership or an expression of leadership. Uh, but I also think that it's become exacerbated in our in our culture, in our times, perhaps a little bit more of the uh, the focus has been on ourself. And as you mentioned, mm. I cannot be successful or I won't be regarded as successful unless I have a leadership title or leadership role. And so then we start climbing that ladder of, well, how can I get this promotion? And what do I have to do in order to get this title? How do I get that corner office with the windows? You know, it, these things <laughs> are, are, are carrots before us that as Rick would say, you know, has the the potential to define us. And that's mm -hmm. what leadership tends to do when we allow e leadership to become an idol. A thing happened to me the other day when I picked up a book that a friend of mine had given me several years ago that was a, a book written in the 1900s, uh, like around 1900. So it's 120 years ago. And it was, I think what you would call in modern language, a leadership book. And if you were to open that book up and read through the table of contents, it would have chapters entitled uh, things like integrity, perseverance, industry, mm. thrift, humility. And so it, it's a list of virtues. And then it has sort of wow. anecdotal short. It, it, in fact, it would blog very easily. So it has a bunch of these kind of blog length <laughs> chapters, but they're all about virtues. And you can see the operating assumption is if you want to be a success, if you want to be a leader, the key is to cultivate virtue. 
Well, you fast mm. forward 120 years and pick up a leadership book and you have chapters on how to assert yourself, how to be, uh, you know, how, how to find your identity, how to help others uh, work with others to achieve your goals, uh, how to win friends and influence people. And the, the incredible <laughs> shift from virtue to self-centered self-expression is striking mm. over the 20th century. How that happened, I don't exactly know. Yeah. Some of this, I think, is an issue of kind of entitlement. So we feel like we all have the right to be leaders. So it's owed to us. A hundred years ago, we would have obviously said, well, you, you kind of have to earn it, right? You, so you got to develop those virtues if you're going to be that. So those are some of the currents. I agree with Joanne's earlier comment that you find some of this desire for leadership in the Bible. I mean, it's an ancient trend, but somehow we've kind of baptized it in a whole new way in the in the modern era. Christians, ah. I think, have kind of followed the culture. I don't I don't think we've done particularly bad or particularly well. We've just kind of gone with the with the flow. Yeah, we've just allowed secular culture maybe to form us more than what we've allowed the Bible to form. Yeah, that's yes, a really exactly. good way to approach. Exactly. I think uh, this has infiltrated our families. So it's not just in the church. Now oh, the language absolutely. is the families. In fact, um, Rick, you and I had a conversation the other day, and we, we like the story that we included in the book about the Girl Scout cookies, you know, where it's stamped, you know, I am a leader. Um, Rick said the other day, but do you know the other mantras, so to speak, that are stamped on the cookies? What were they, Rick? It was. Uh, oh, my gosh. Joanne had it met these lemon ups. You know, Girl Scout says it says uh, be a leader. Right. But I went and Googled it for I was doing a slideshow thing. And so I our PowerPoint and I wanted to get that image well then I got all the other ones and it was I am uh it wasn't assertive I oh, gosh I gotta look look for these but the, they were I'm an innovator I am uh I am powerful mm. I am uh you know an influencer it, it influencer, just right all of those right. sorts of things that were just like wow that's what yeah. we're programming into our kids is sort of a sense of the divine right that they have Ooh. and Gosh. And the, the other side effect of all of this, Amber, that I find really concerning is that once leadership takes that place, the side effect is we have absolutely no imagination for followership. We can't think of what it would look right. like to do it well or poorly. We can't think that it'd be a thing we'd aspire to or be content with. It's just completely off our radar or else if it's on the radar, it's on the radar in the most negative fashion with the most negative associations with it. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. In your book, and you all talk so much about followership, because while culture, um, and, and I can't even just say culture, I mean, it, it's all people have this obsession with leadership and equate that to success. 
the Bible has so much language about followership and being successful in that realm, just as much as leadership. And so talk about that a little bit, because you all really do introduce scripture in a lot of wonderful ways in the book when it comes to being a follower of Christ and being a leader. Well, I think there was one point as we were writing, um, the scripture passage uh, found in John 5 just really struck me. And I sat with it a few a few days before even bringing it up to Rick. And I said, you know, Rick, uh, w- what do we do with this? That when Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing, and mm-hmm. I see the will of my father, I do the will of my father. And I sat with that because I'm thinking, you know what? Jesus right here is saying he follows. He's following the father. So if we're going yeah. to be Christ followers, if we're going to be Christ disciples, then it, it only makes sense that we too would be followers. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, as mm-hmm. Christ follows only the commands of the father. So it just made, you know, and so we brought this up in conversation, Rick and I were having a conversation about this and uh, he expanded it even more um, in the book. And it was just a turning point for us that it wasn't just mm-hmm. us following Christ, but as Christ followed. Mm. That section of, well, the book of John, so like, just like Joanne said, I mean, she, she had that thought, she shared it when we were talking about some other things, I think. And I'm like, that is an interesting fact. And you begin to go, so Jesus' self-identity, the, the, the way he understood himself was as a, was follower. As a follower. And so I thought, mm-hmm. well, let's lean into this. So I just go through the whole book of John and I'm like, oh yeah. He says, I'm not the one who sent me. I'm the sent one. I'm not the one who came up with the teaching. I'm delivering the teaching that the father has given me. I didn't come up with the commandments. I'm delivering them to you. And at every point, it's just crazy. I don't do this on my own authority. I do that on the authority of the one who sent Mm -hmm. me. And so every conceivable follower leader sort of pair, you know, who gives the teaching, who delivers the teaching, who has the authority, who, you know, follows all of those elements, Christ is just latching onto and pinning them to his shirt, saying, I'm that guy, I'm the follower in this thing, and I'm following the Lord, the the Father, and I would want to be clear in terms of our Trinitarian theology here, I'm referring to the incarnate Christ, not the pre-existent second person of the Trinity, but the incarnate Jesus, who is the person we're trying to follow, right? That's right. So he he understood himself as a follower. Paul understood himself as following Jesus. He tells Timothy to follow me. He tells the Thessalonians to follow me. He tells other people to follow the Thessalonians as they abandon the idols and, and seek the true God. And you suddenly realize the, the New Testament vision of the Mediterranean, the advance of the gospel to the Mediterranean world is a infinitely long chain of followership where mm. everybody is following the person in front of them. And the change has gotten so long that we can't see Jesus anymore because he's so far out there. So you just have to, you, you look at Paul while he's looking at Jesus. And then you look at Timothy while he's looking at Paul. And we're all playing the follow leader. And we know we're ultimately following that leader. But the way we do it is by the guy in front of us. So everybody becomes, in one, to one person, a you're follower. a leader. To another person, you're a follower. But the driving organization principle is followership, not leadership. Well, and it it's the language of to be a successful leader, you need to be a follower. And so why is that so absent in so much of our teaching? The weirdest thing to me is how completely we miss that 
when you have language of discipleship, Jesus calls it. So it's yes. just, come follow me. Um, and there's this crazy sense of man, throw out the, you know, abandon the nets, leave everything behind and come and follow me. And yet, for some reason, following has a negative connotation. I know. I would I would be more upset about it if I didn't find that true in my own life. I mean, this is part of the thing for I think I know. Brian and I had a lot of moments of kind of self-reflective discovery, oops kind of moments where, where you think about yourself and you're like, oh dang, that's that thing I was just complaining about, that's me. So well, and I mean that's the thing, right? Like, how do we begin to shift that language and that idea? as we are mentoring and discipling people behind us, the people who may be following us, you know, what does that language look like to encourage them? Hey, the way to be the best leader you can be is to be the best follower you can be. Yeah. Yeah. We had determined very early on that, um, again, as Rick mentioned earlier, we're not anti-leadership. We are pro-followership and that at given points in our lives, we are each called to a role in leadership. We may be called, we may not be called, but we are never called to stop being a follower. We are always called to be a follower. So no matter what role we're in, in the home, outside the home, in the marketplace, uh, in our relationships, we are always called to be a follower. And not just that, we are called to be a faithful follower. And yes. sometimes we think following is just by osmosis. You know, we get it just by hanging around people and it really takes no, no initiative. Uh, certainly doesn't take much of a brain to do this. But we would argue that being a faithful follower is not easy work. It takes intention. Mm -hmm. It takes purpose. It takes um, a compelling mission. Uh, and so we incorporate these things in our followership so that if and when we are ever called to a leadership role, we would be most prepared by being a good follower. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that whole thing of discipline, we don't do anything well that we don't have discipline to practice. Yeah. You know, I mean, that applies to everything. Like you don't go run a marathon well unless you've put in the discipline work of training and somehow that gets lost in as a Christian, like, yes, we put disciplines in place, not because God's going to strike us down if we don't, but because we want to follow him. We want to be the best disciple that we can be. And somehow we just miss that. <laughs> well, and, and I think part of it is the way we cast followership is as an absence and not a presence. It's a shadow, not an object that's looking at yes. shadow. And so one of the things, I'm just really simple things like, so what is a follower really? Well, it does involve a measure of deference to a leader. I mean, that's <laughs> just in the term and good. So, And I thought of, okay. I need to be able to follow a leader. My default in an organization or situation would be to do the things my leader tells me to do. And I'm like, okay, that's one element of being a follower. But another one is the thing that we kind of argue for is kind of a, a, a high level ownership of the mission of the organization that you're a part of. So you're saying mm -hmm. I am absolutely 100% committed to this mission, this thing that I feel like I'm being called by Jesus to do. How can I best yeah. do it? Oh, I can best do it in this organization. Great. So I fit into my spot. I'm doing this thing. But you're into this whole thing because of your ownership of the mission, not because you're just marking time or getting a paycheck or something in this thing that you're doing. You're, you're really owning and implementing the mission. 
Because that way you can also, when, when things begin to go off track, if you're sitting there in the organization, you're going, wait a minute, something's not right here because you have a clear sense of the mission. If all you're doing is following passively, then whatever the yeah. leader says automatically by definition is what you do. But you're like, no, no, I brought a life passion for this thing to the, to, to the table and we're now going the wrong way. And with it is a sense of absolute sold out zeal and enthusiasm. I mean, the, the follower in this sense, there is nothing passive about them. They are, mm. they are 100%, you know, burn the ships, hand to the plow, never look back, don't go check out the field, don't worry about anything else, sell the nets, leave the booth, I'm following. Yeah. And we can only think of that little line of things ending with the phrase, I'm leading. <laughs> like in the I Bible, know. that's what they did to go follow. Oh, that's so good. And I mean, I think about like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego too. Like Daniel, we see him as just an exemplary leader, but he really, he reached that place because of how committed he was to following Yahweh. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we sometimes think in terms of, you know, this life passion has to be this grandiose vision of doing things and doing everything, but it's in the mundane aspects mm. of life, of life that we exhibit the best following. And so I, when mm. I mentioned earlier, how are we faithful followers in our families, with our children and grandchildren, with our spouses and our elderly parents? How are we faithful followers there? Because that's going mm. to have an impact when we are outside of our homes. How do we regard those who are checkers at the grocery store? Uh, I, I often bring this up, you know, they were or a name tag, but hardly anyone calls them by name. So I start calling yeah. them by name and having a conversation with them. And uh, I've, I've built quite a friendship with a number of them, awesome. praying for them, uh, just being with them. And they, they know where uh, I am with my, in my relationship with the Lord. And it's just paying attention, being a good yeah. follower, no matter where you are, time of day, day of the week, who you're with. Mm, that's good stuff. Well, tell me, when you're talking to leaders, like I think about my husband who, I mean, he is the leader, obviously, of the organization that he works in. And I would say that he is a very good follower of Jesus. And I would say that's why a lot of people are actually very drawn to him um, in the position that he's in. But he hasn't always been in that place. And so when you're talking to leaders about being a healthy follower, what are some things that you would say to them? I think I would, the first uh, thing I would say is in order to be a healthy, faithful follower, we must be connected with God and his spirit. The Holy mm -hmm. Spirit is the direct agent for our transformation, our becoming more and more like Christ. So it only makes sense to stay connected with him. How then do we stay connected with him? How do mm -hmm. we stay connected with him in our, our prayer life? How do we stay connected with him in our times of being silent and being still before him? How do we stay connected to him when everything around us says, hey, you need to check your phone. Hey, you need to check your computer. Hey, did you see these last three notifications that you received? And the pings and the dings draw our attention away mm -hmm. when we want to grow and we desire to grow more sensitive to spirit. How will we hear his voice amid the clamor mm -hmm. of media around us, the clamor of voices around us, uh, even the things that we don't want to hear and we, we sweep under the rug, those types of things. How will we hear and then be obedient to the spirit? So we need to uh, instill 
the soul rhythms. We talk about that in, in the yeah. book, soul rhythms that incorporates the whole person, the whole being of uh, being sensitive to God's spirit. Mm. Rick? Yeah, here's my percent. And unfortunately, it's probably a little bit too autobiographical. So maybe I should talk about my friend, George, who operates this. Baby. No, please talk about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I have my share of leadership roles, as we already mentioned, you know, most yeah. of us do. So I certainly do that. I've noticed a tendency for me in leadership roles is I come to Jesus in prayer to ask him to give me the marching orders that I need to deliver to those in my organization or chain of command that need to go do these things that need to be done. Mm -hmm. And I don't come to Jesus to presence myself before him as a follower. Jesus, your followers here before you, what would you have me do? I'm always saying, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus, I'm not sure what's going on in your life, but let me tell you what's going on in mine. And here's the four <laughs> yeah. things you got to get this organization. And here's the plan. If you would just, I pray you would help John and Shirley to stop squabbling over the coffee maker and go ahead and, you know, do whatever it is they're supposed to do. And it is a list of, in effect, it isn't that different than what I might give uh, as a list to an administrative assistant or a leader I was working for. Could you get those things done? God. Mm. And it's a little embarrassing. Like I'd, I'd like that to be the description of my friend George, but unfortunately, I feel the suction to do that because I'm usually feeling busy. It's hard for yeah. me to quiet my soul. I just want to get this off so I can get to the next thing. And so I'm probably not giving any help, but I am identifying that as the problem and to cast a vision for saying, wait a minute, A, I need to probably slow down, but B, to just have that sense, I am showing up to put myself before Jesus as his sincere follower and asking, Lord, what, what do you have for me? And in some ways, I think I'm repeating or rephrasing what Joanne said about the work of the spirit in our life. Because I think that's another way you could exactly talk about that is to say, hey, I am subordinating myself to the voice of the spirit of Jesus in my life. And I come to him for that. And, and it, he might have the audacity to not get right away to my to-do list or maybe spend our whole time together talking about some things I need to work on in my life to be a better human being, you know? So that, yeah. that posture to me is, is really important to maintain. If I had the, the magic bullet for doing that, I'd be happy. You know, you, we could enter in a, a sales partnership to distribute that all around the world. You know, that would be a great thing. Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. Well, and I think not compartmentalizing too yes. is something that my husband and I have so much, uh, really in the last several years been like, we can't compartmentalize like this is our prayer time, which that's good. And that's what we want to do. But it, it really is like brother Lawrence says, practicing the presence of God in all aspects of your life. Like he's with you in vocation. He's with me in parenting. He's with me when I'm taking a walk, you know, I mean, and that not compartmentalizing your life with him makes such a big impact. Yes. And we can invite him into every aspect that you just yes. mentioned by, by a simple question of asking, God, what is your perspective? We mm. wouldn't get that perspective unless we know his character as he reveals himself in his word. But I think we need to ask that question far more often. God, what is your perspective on this relationship? What is your perspective on John and Mary over the coffee maker? What is your perspective? Because that's how we reflect him in our relationships, in the marketplace, in our homes. Yeah. And it just takes time. Lots of time, Rick. Don't worry. There's, there's his, his my, mercies are new every morning. I have this right? to-do list that really needs to get done. <laughs> well, and that's what my husband will say. He'll come home and he'll say, 
I mean, God has provided for us over and over and over again, and not just our family. I mean, like he's an engineer. And so you're constantly making sure you have enough jobs for all your employees to do their work. And he's like, yet still, I will just cling and be like fretting over this, knowing I just have to go back to him again, remind myself of his faithfulness and put myself back in a, a place of just submission and surrender. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Rick had used this word, uh, or we had used this word before, and that is how leadership can become an idol. Uh, and as I explore this, you know, idol language a little bit more, discovering that control is the master mm-hmm. idol and fear is the master cause. So we have to kind of unpack oh, that. Yeah. What is that underlying fear that compels me to want control over this decision or want control over this team? Mm. If we're really honest with ourselves, when we get to that level of fear, then we can present it to God. Mm. Yeah. And that takes time. Right. And then to I mean, be, you have to really be intentional. Absolutely. And then to be able to hear, fear not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that could be my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, well, let's close with this. Um, in a world where there is this constant messaging of be extraordinary, you know, be great, be the best at everything. End with a few of those soul rhythms or a few practices that can help us to just be ordinary, faithful followers of Jesus until the day of Christ Jesus. Following, as we mentioned earlier, it's not easy. It takes intention. It takes purpose. And I think one of the practices, and we include this in the book, is um, something that I've been learning over and over again from a very familiar psalm in Psalm 23. The book unpacks it even mm. further, but uh, the psalmist is feeling surrounded by his enemies, oppressed and, and discouraged. And yet in verse six of the six verse verses of, of Psalm 23, the psalmist writes, it's oftentimes mistranslated, but it re- it should read only Tove and Hesed, only God's goodness and loving kindness pursue us. And we can do this thing with, I, I believe it's called with Hebrew and, and with some of the Psalms, it's, it's syllabification, where we can count the number of, of Hebrew syllables from the beginning and from the end. And in the middle, we come to the main theme of that Psalm. So we can do that with Psalm 23. Oh. And the middle of that Psalm, that theme is for you are with me. So to be reminded, how do we cultivate this and being a good follower, just being reminded that only God's goodness, only God, not surely goodness and mercy will follow me, but only God's goodness and loving kindness pursue me. Why? Because he is with me. Mm. Just say that over and over and over again. Another thought, we unpacked some things in the book about how we read the Bible. And I've had several interactions with people over the course of the years where I've heard them say things about whatever their issue is. And they make these really strong statements uh, about like, uh, well, if if Jesus doesn't see it that way, you know, I, I don't want to go to heaven or something. I'm like, yeah, no, bad plan. <laughs> and and I what it what it impresses on me is a tendency to not read scriptures with a humble openness to be corrected, rather read scriptures to find something to give you momentum for the way you're going already. And you can almost see in that image an anti-following approach to to reading scripture. I want scripture Mm. to follow me. I want scripture to empower me to do the thing I'm doing and not this sense of let me lay aside 
what I am bringing scripture, what's on my mind, all those things. Let me let the word of God speak to my heart. And if he says something inconvenient or something unpleasant to say, nevertheless, still I will follow. Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that is now at the top of my to-do list for today. And Mm. I don't think it's natural for us. The natural momentum of our soul doesn't take us in that direction. It takes us in the opposite. So that's a discipline I think is really, really valuable for cultivating this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Joanne, are you going to say something? You know, I used to have a sticky note uh, on my headboard for many, many years until the stickiness. (laughs) (laughs) stickiness. Um, But now it's just embedded on my heart. And it would simply say a prayer to God. It would simply say, glorify yourself at my expense. Mm. And you know what? Uh, That's a follower. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for writing this, for taking the time to have those theological jam sessions in the hallways of your vocational um, place of work, which is Biola for both of you and for meeting with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, so glad we could do it. Thank you so much, Amber. What a powerful and thought-provoking conversation. Next week for episode two, I am joined by Jeff and Tara Madison as we discuss closing the integrity gap between what you preach and what you live and becoming a leader that you would follow. Don't forget, you can support Grace Enough by sharing the episode, purchasing books and resources through the affiliate links provided in the show notes, or by making a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash grace enough. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.